Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Here's the statement from the Denver Broncos issued on Monday morning, the day after a disastrous 51-14 loss to the Rams, owned by Stan Kroenke, who's connected to the Walton family, that he married into the Walton family. Talk about an embarrassment. Talk about an awkward moment at the late Christmas supper. Stan Kroenke and the Rams having a horrible year, one of the worst years ever for a Super Bowl champion, still beat the Broncos 51-14. to And when you look at everything else that happened in that game, you had the Brett Rippon and Dalton Risner moment on the sidelines where Rippon apparently was sent over by Russell Wilson to complain and then got shoved away by Risner. And then the fight that Randy Gregory was part of. And it just there's, there's sideline video and you can see Rippon get shoved away. Uh, Just the whole thing had reached a point where it imploded. And I had to give Nathaniel Hackett credit. The team wasn't quitting. The team wasn't giving up. When they were down 27-0 to the Chiefs not that long ago, they got back into the game and made it very interesting. Right. But but when it broke, Chris, it broke. That dam broke and flooded the entire countryside. And and the Broncos did what we knew they were going to do anyway. We knew that they we knew that Nathaniel Hackett wasn't going to make it to next year. Right. They weren't going to give him another year. They didn't hire him. From day one, he did not pass the smell test as an NFL head coach. He just didn't. And the only way to find out if a coordinator is going to be a good NFL head coach is make him one and see what happens. Kevin O'Connell, great. Mike McDaniel, great. Brian Dayball, great. Matt Eberflus, jury's still out, but at least he can he can play the part. Hackett couldn't even play the part from week one with all that confusion and delay and they're not getting the plays in and they're kicking a field goal. They're trusting the kicker that he can make a 64 yarder. Are you kidding? I mean, it was just weird from the first week and it never seemed to get any better. And at one point I thought they were committed. I know they were committed to keeping him until the end of the season. They didn't want to join that very small list of teams that failed to have a coach make it through his first year. They wanted to get to the end of the season and then move on. 
Sunday's game, 51-14, and all that other stuff around it, they couldn't wait any longer. It was time for them to make their move, and they did. Yeah, they've been. he's been reeling all year. I mean, you said it. It's really ever been ever since the 46 left hash to start the season in a game where they outplayed Seattle and kind of let it slip away with turnovers on the goal line, right? And ever from that point, ever since that point, it just was, you know, kind of one not so good, not so flattering type of story after another. And then I think when you add on top of that, just the the way the quarterback has developed in the system and the way he's looked, and of course this is Nathaniel Hackett, he's supposed to be an offensive coach, a quarterback guy, all the talk about how much Rodgers and him got along and what he did there, so you're expecting better results there. And yes, not on, and then the, the play on the field, and then like, yeah, this is one that was, was easy. It was sitting there in the room, you know, again at NBC in, in the third quarter going, well, this is the kind of game that even though they didn't want to fire you until after the year, they, they fire you when the game's over because it just was an absolute disaster. The scoreboard, the sideline shenanigans, and again, the biggest problem with this issue is the guy that's making a quarter of a billion dollars is playing the worst on your football team. And that you know, that's where I feel for Nathaniel Hackett because no one could have saw this coming. And, of course, he's a part of this process and doing this. But, you know, this is a lot of Russell Wilson problem, too. This is. And, and that's where I feel for him a little bit. And it's just that was a horrible look right there. And the interceptions that Russell Wilson threw, I, if you told me that was the first game he played in the, in the NFL, I would have gone, hey, it looks like it. That, I think this is the first game he's ever played. It, it's mind-boggling what's gone on there in Denver with Russell Wilson and just not shocking that this is what happened as a result of the Christmas Day massacre there. I don't want to get too far off pace because we have a lot of things to talk about regarding this, but I have a question for you. Do you believe Nathaniel Hackett took that job with the understanding, with the expectation, with the hope that they would get Aaron Rodgers, not Russell Wilson? mm, I don't think he took that job because of that, but I think he thought there was a real chance or a possibility that he was going to get one of the two. Yeah, I I, I do. I I think there's a real part of that, and I think probably he thought there was an inside track that he would actually get Rodgers. Uh, I, I don't doubt that. I think that would have been a lot easier and a smoother transition. And, and, and you know, again, the, the way that played out, oh, wait, Roger said he's going back to Green Bay. A few hours later, they signed Russell Wilson. I mean, he was obviously their number one choice. They could say whatever they want to, to kind of put, you know, put the whatever spin they want on it. But, uh, yeah, I got to believe that's part of it, Mike, for sure. I think they laid the foundation for the Russell Wilson trade with the understanding that that was the plan B, and the moment they knew what Aaron Rodgers was going to do, they trade for him or they trade for Russell Wilson. And they worked very hard from a PR standpoint to say it was coincidental, folks. No way. There are no No coincidences. There are none. None. So I I think they thought they were getting Aaron Rodgers. And Russell Wilson was the plan B. And maybe they just didn't do the work up the way they should have. Maybe they just assumed, you know, you make some bad assumptions pretty easily. And kudos to the Seahawks for pulling a pretty effective grift on the Broncos, unloading Russell Wilson at the absolute right time. Now, Chris, here's the question. Yeah. And, and I did the breakdown of his contract today. They, they, they're they stuck with him for 2023. Right. I think in 2024 they could rip off the Band-Aid. I, what, what would happen if they would cut him – this year. You're not trading that contract. 
Every penny's guaranteed in 2023 and 2024. No one is taking on that contract. Nobody. If you cut him after June 1, or you can cut him before June 1 with the post-June 1 designation, you would take a $22 million cap charge in 2023 and an $87 million cap charge in 2024. Whoa. So I don't think – I was yesterday suggesting maybe you just – you just you deal with it. The money's already spent. The problem is it's not spent because he's due every penny in 23 and 24. I think the earliest you could dump him is 2024. That would be a net negative of 49.6 million. You would take a cap charge of 35.4 in 23 and then 49.6 in 24. But you're taking the 35.4 whether he's on the team or not. That's the key. You're taking that cap charge whether he's with you or not. And when you start thinking of it that way, we're going to take these cap charges in the coming years whether he's on the team or not. That's when it becomes not all that unattractive to just get rid of him. I mean, just get rid of him. What? Look, if he's this bad, we're not going to play him. Do we keep him on the team? Do we? Do, or do we just say, stay home? Or do we just say, see you later? Go continue your career somewhere else. I, I just think these are real conversations, but I think they've gone into this. The fact that they didn't fire George Payton tells me they've gone into this with an idea that we have a potential plan for trying to fix Russell Wilson, that we're going we're gonna to hope that it was Nathaniel Hackett not coaching the guy properly, and we're going to bring in somebody who can coach Russell Wilson and see if we can get anything out of him in 23. If we can, great. If we can't, that's when we move on. After 2023. Yeah, I, I think they're stuck with this for at least, you know, a little time here. This is one where, I you know, I, I don't – with the investment you've made, I don't think you get out of it, you know, as badly as it looked. You you, you hang in there. You know, yeah, you, you hope that – like you're saying, that, hey, it was a rookie head coach who just didn't do things the right way or connect with Russell Wilson and get things going in the, in the right direction there – to where you hope that's part of the process, and then you hope, hey, through time and comfort and being here, that Russell Wilson regains a little bit of what he was in Seattle and becomes more comfortable and starts to become that guy that you know we've seen him be throughout his history. Uh, so, yes, and, and again, that's now going to be a part of this search. And, of course, the head coach and who is hired, a big part of it is going to be just based around Russell Wilson. And wait, who can fix him? Who can justify our investment? Who can make him look good again? And that that's going to be a big question. Definitely is, but it's going to be a big part of it. And I, you know, that's you where know it's, what I would do. Yeah, what? You know, I th- th- this one occurred to me yesterday when Miles Simmons and I were doing an emergency PFTPM in the aftermath of the firing. I would hire Daryl Bevel to be the head coach and Brian Schottenheimer to be the offensive coordinator because those were the guys. Before we started to think, is Russell Wilson a good quarterback? Those were the guys who were in charge of his career. Bevel from 2011 through 2017, he was part of that purge when they really started to move on from the Legion of Boom Seahawks after a disappointing 2017 season. But Bevel was there for the Super Bowl years. Bevel was the guy who ran that offense. And then Schottenheimer was the guy 2018 through 2020. Get both of them together. They were both together in Jacksonville last year trying to hold it together with Urban Meyer in charge. Make Bevel the coach, Schottenheimer the coordinator. You got the two guys that were able to get something good out of Russell Wilson. If you're, if you're going to try to salvage this guy, why not get guys 
that coached him, and he did well with them. That, to me, is a no-brainer. Well, That I, is the obvious, clearest, cleanest fix. I, I, I think there's a little more to that story. I, I do. You know, one, okay, uh, yeah, those were successful years. That was a great team. I think if you ask most people in football, they'd go, they, if their offense was better, they would have won more than one Super Bowl. That was holding them back to a degree. And, and and so that's where I don't know if I'm going to totally buy into that, you know, concept there altogether, to, right? Uh, I understand what you're saying as far as you want to find somebody who's comfortable. Who do you hire then if you want to fix him? Well, I, I mean, of course, the, 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 shining, the shining beacon that's out there right now, of course, is Sean Payton. He's the one that makes the most sense to save the day. You know, has been he runs a system that in a lot of ways Russell Wilson knows it's not that far off from what he's run here. He has history with smaller quarterback. So that would be the guy I would look at right off the bat. You know, again, there's a, this Broncos team, the defense is pretty good. It's one of those where you go, I'm, uh, we, we can keep the defense and we can keep E.J. Evero. We got some receivers. So, I mean, he's the one right off the bat that, of course, comes to your, the forefront of your mind. Let me just say this. Yeah. Given the reports that emerged over the weekend that Sean Payton is putting together an all-star cast, including defensive coordinator Vic Fangio, I have a feeling Fangio would not be the defensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos. That's very just true. call that a hunch. Yes, you're right the, about the, that. That would not play out that way. I, I would want to know what Payton thinks of all this. And I was saying yesterday, at some point the Broncos need, if they haven't done it already, they need a consultant not to come in and tell them who to hire. They need someone to tell them. And maybe they've already done this. I mean, you're talking about people with unlimited resources. Maybe they've already hired Peyton as a quasi-consultant. I don't know. I mean, you, you don't know. There's so many people who are involved in these paid and unpaid consulting gigs that we never find out about. Who knows what names have been connected to the Broncos behind the scenes, working with them to tell them the basic, the basic question, the answer to the basic question, Chris. Why does Russell Wilson stink this year? Is it him or is it the coaching? And if it's him, how do we fix him? What would you do? And I remember Peyton on Colin Coward show earlier this year saying, here's what I would do. Here's what I'd tell my people to do. I want all the clips of all the red zone plays. I want all the occasions where we've seen him roll out of the pocket and throw the 60-yard pass down the field. And I'd want to make sure that those plays are part of my playbook. They, and so, yeah, but they were know, like Peyton, I, I saw enough if, to if, know they were to a degree, you know that that's where were they doing it enough. Well, maybe not enough. You know, we talked about early in the year people being wide open with basic West Coast plays where he just didn't want to pull the trigger and he was looking at the rush. You know, also I think when you go back and look at a lot of their offense and what we talked about, and I've broken this down a lot through the years. I mean, even in the red zone and all that, it's like. Oh, the guy ran straight and he threw a bullet. Or it's never always been within the system of play. Then also, I think what you got to take into account, Mike, and we've discussed this a lot. You've talked about it a lot. Where you know the play didn't matter a lot of the times for the better part of his career because his ability to move and create off of that, somebody got open. So then we get, oh well, wait, maybe he missed that read or didn't see it or whatever. But oh, it didn't matter. He made it happen. So that kind of got to be a part of the conversation too. But he doesn't move the same anymore. That's 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 the concerning thing. And that's where, like, you know, that's where if I'm a head coach, I'm worried about, like, yeah, Denver's got a lot of the positive things, but I'm not sure about the Russell Wilson thing. 
I'm not sure. And to what you said earlier in the show, Seattle had been telling people for years Russell Wilson wasn't what we all thought he was and that there was issues with his game. But I think me included thought, well, they're just saying that because they don't want to have to pay him so much and they don't want guys like me to say, hey, he's so good and they have to now pay him $45 million a year. That's kind of what I think me and a lot of other people in the business thought. But, you know, how could you not through this year start to realize, well, maybe they were, they were telling the truth and there is issues. And that offense with Shane Waldron does look different with Geno Smith as it did compared to Russell Wilson. And that's where, you know, Sean Payton or whoever, like, I, yeah, it'd be a little scary too for, 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 in my opinion, to go there and coach him at this age with what we saw this year and, and all of that. So uh, there's, there's some risk on the coaching side here too. That's the thing. Peyton would not be interested in this job for a second if he doesn't think that Russell Wilson yeah. can be uh-huh. fixed. Why would you even touch it? Wait right. for a job where you feel like the deck is more stacked in your favor, yes. not walking into a situation where you're looking at a net cap charge of $87 million in 2024 if you get rid of him now, nearly $50 million. Uh, beyond that, 2025 if you get rid of him now. I mean, it just makes no sense. If to do that, unless you think he can be fixed, and and there's a, you know, there's there's two ways to look at it. I mentioned Bevel and Schottenheimer because those are guys who had success with him. But if it is about him, if he has lost his ability to move, and that's been my take all year, he no longer has confidence in his agility and speed, and that is affecting his game. It is. That's it's making, making him look at the rush more. Lose it. Right. He doesn't. He doesn't want the world to see he's not the guy he used to be. I mean, there's a we we can't assume that this obsession with his image that goes all the way back to when he was a kid and he was practicing press conferences. We can't assume that that obsession with his image ends the moment he walks onto a football field. I think he's on the field. He's as obsessed with what people think of him as he is off the field. So he doesn't even. I, I don't remember seeing many occasions this year where he tries to outrun somebody because he knows he can't yeah, anymore. Right. I think that's the core of it. So the only way you can fix him is to accept who he is now and design your offense based upon who he is now. And I don't know that you're going to find somebody who's going to happily do that, but I think they're going to give it one more year with Russ. They're going to give it one more year. They're going to operate under the premise that it was the coaching staff not the quarterback, yeah. and we can fix him, or yeah. at least we're going to try to. And if we can't, then that's when we rip the Band-Aid off and move on and take that $35 million cap charge in 24, $50 million in 25, cost of doing business, oh, well, we admit our mistake and we move on, but that's I think that's what they're going to do. And I think the fact that George Payton is still there is the clue hiding in plain sight that they're going to try to fix Russell Wilson because he's the guy who traded for him and he's the guy who paid him. Yeah, I agreed there. And and off your point, too, like if I am a guy like Sean Payton and, and have my pick of the litter as far as teams, that would scare the crap out of me. Where I'm, I'm with you. I would pick a team to go, I don't know. I'll just – I'd rather go somewhere and be able to pick my own quarterback or go from there instead of being stuck with a guy to where, oh, no, it can really ruin – my future plans for the rest of the football team because I might have to abandon ship after two years and he's going to cost however many millions against my cap and we won't be able to build the team the way I want to. So I feel like, again, it's going to be a guy that's, you know, to take that challenge on, it's going to probably be 
first-year head coach, you know, hot coordinator that's out there that's making the rounds. And, um, you know, that that's, that's going to be a, another dicey proposition there for the Denver Broncos. Here, here's something I just thought of. And, and this may cross the line between outside the box and freaking nutty. But, but, Sean Payton just strikes me as the guy who could speak this way to Russell Wilson, no matter how difficult it may be for Russell Wilson to hear it. But what if before Sean Payton would take that job, before he would even make a decision as to whether or not he'd take that job, he gets in touch with Russell Wilson and he asks to have a one-on-one meeting, a sit-down, as my uh, Italian mafioso colleagues may say. Let's have a sit-down. And during that sit-down, Sean Payton says to Russell Wilson in very plain, candid terms, I've watched the film. I've watched every play you've ever participated in for your entire career. And whether he has or hasn't, he can, he can pull it off. He can tell him. I've watched it all, and I've come to the conclusion you just don't have it anymore. And if you're on my team right now, Setting aside the contract, setting aside everything related to it, I would, I would have to have that difficult conversation with you that I need to cut you because you're just no longer good enough. And that's okay. There's no shame in that. You had some great years. You're now at the point where you're just not good enough to play. And that's my assessment. You can take it for what it's worth. You can believe it. You can reject it. But what I would like you to do is search your heart and ask yourself whether or not you agree with what I'm saying and whether or not you should retire and and allow this team to avoid this incredibly massive, or at least minimize this massive cap charge it would be taking to move on from you. Keep the money you've already gotten. Keep your $50 million signing bonus. But guaranteed money in 2023, guaranteed money in 2024. I mean, maybe you should just walk away from that. And think of how you would be received if you acknowledge, I'm just retiring. I don't have it anymore, and I don't want money that I'm not in a position to earn. I mean, that would be a way to finesse this if you're Peyton, to get him to quit, get him to retire, get him to tap out, and give up his salary for 23 and 24. It still, it still makes it a very difficult cap situation, Chris, but that may be the only way Peyton would take that job, is if he could convince Russell Wilson to just retire. And maybe he should. Maybe that's the right answer here. Maybe Wilson shouldn't want to come back and play another year and be further exposed as a guy who can no longer do it. At some point, your pride overcomes your stubbornness. So, I, again, it's just a, it's one of the things I like about having these conversations. Things that I maybe have, would have never thought about pop out while we're doing it. And it may be nuts. I don't know. I, I await your response. Well, you know, that one was, a, I think was more of the nuts. Trying to get that Russell was more to of the nuts category there. That, I think that was more of the nuts category. <laughs> okay. uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. your candor. Well, now shut the hell I up. I mean, you know <laughs> Russell Wilson. He ain't going to give up. I mean, that's not going to happen. And, you know, to what we talk about all the time. Hey, Denver, you gave him this money. Eat crap. You're stuck with it. You wanted him. You got it. I know. So that's where Russell, you know, as a guy for like you and E that stick up for the players and the money, you go ahead and make that money. They got to figure it out around you now. They went all in on you. But what if you're not earning it? That's the problem. I know. You're right. It's the problem with guaranteed contracts. Yes. You're going to have guys that don't earn it, and there's less money available for the guys who deserve it. That's the problem. That's the only problem with it. I'm all for guys getting paid what they're due and what they're worth, 
But I get a little nervous when you got guys that are getting paid all this money that they're not worth because Definitely. someone else should be getting that money. Agreed. That's, that's where I get a little queasy about I, this. Uh, Mike, I, there's a lot of people that are getting queasy about that in the locker room. That's where the team starts to resent the quarterback who's making $50 million a year and doesn't play that well or isn't putting it on the line. You know, that, that's where, you know, yes, it's, it's a very big issue. Or take accountability or be one of the guys and all of that. That's where the, lock, the, the, the locker room turns on the QB. They want to feel like he's part of the team, the squad, wants to be there. Everything involved is, is, is yeah, he's the most paid, but, okay, he delivers and, you know, he holds the team together in leadership ways and all. That's a huge part of the sport. You know, it is. And I think it's part of the reason you're seeing Green Bay not quite as good because you got a little of that with Rodgers and what you're talking about. I think you talk to people in Tampa Bay, that'd be another reason. They'll tell you we don't think we're that good. The team, not quite sure about Brady. Oh, He wanted to play for another team in the offseason. Do they really think he's like all in with the Bucks and all of that? So that is a big part of it. And Russell has failed in that department too as far as making – you know, headway with the team and seeming to be a part of the locker room and one of the guys, it's it's part two that that seems to be kind of an issue here once again. Meanwhile, the Walton Penner Group is realizing that $4.65 billion doesn't buy what it used to buy. And as a wise man once told me, one of my favorite sayings that I use whenever and wherever <laughs> I can, the only thing better than being rich and famous is being rich and wouldn't they love to just go back to arkansas and quietly run their multi-billion dollar walmart ah that's easy this is fun they don't know this is this they're probably enjoying this is it fun is this is it how much is it fun to try to figure out how do we minimize the financial damage and the cap consequences of a quarterback that can no longer play who do we get to coach a quarterback who can no longer play what do we do do we just keep banging our heads against the wall and hope that the guy – look, Chris, the good organizations in the NFL recognize their mistakes and move on. The bad organizations, the dysfunctional organizations double down. They're going to double down on this. Well, they had a They're chance double early down on. This and hope it was Nathaniel Hackett and not Russell Wilson. They're tripling down at this point. I mean, this is, they've, they've already doubled down. They saw bad play and gave them an extension. They saw not great performance in training camp and it, gave him extension. So this right. is triple down now. And that, that's where it's, it's like they're stuck. They're stuck here. And uh, it's a weird issue, to, to your point. Seven straight years of no playoffs since winning Super Bowl 50, the longest postseason drought for any Super Bowl champion. And I have a feeling it may continue. A year or two. Let's take a break. When we return, the Chargers have ended their not nearly seven-year postseason drought. They're back in the playoffs by virtue of last night's win over the Colts. We'll break that down when this Tuesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. At Delta, we know Mike and 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Dan, I think it's just the beginning. Just the beginning. Uh, this is not our final goal. Uh, we expect it to be at this point. Um, I'm really proud of how this season has gone for our football team and, and what we've been able to demonstrate in order to make it into the postseason. Uh, that's probably what I'm most proud of, not just being in it, but how we made it, what it took for us to get in. Um, but, you know, this is just the beginning for us. I think the reason why we're here is because of uh, the men on our football team, coaches, players. Um, <clears throat> we've got the makeup um, to withstand the type of season that we've had. You know, and I think that uh, we would not be here today if it weren't for the toughness of our football team, the makeup of our football team. And I think for far too long, um, people have talked about the talent of this football team and the organization. And um, that's ultimately not what gets you where you want to go. You have to prove your toughness. And that's what we've proven so far this year. Chargers have fought their way through a bunch of injuries and ineffectiveness, and they're getting yeah. healthy, and they're getting good, and they're getting back to the playoffs for the first time since 2018. That was the year they they were very much alive for the one seed after beating the Chiefs on a Thursday night to put themselves in position to win the division and capture the top seed. They lost on a Saturday game against the Ravens that knocked them out of the top spot. They had to go the hard way through the wild card round, but uh, now, now – here we are. They're back in. Justin Herbert, we've seen what he can do. We want to see it more often. This Chargers team is getting healthier. They may get Joey Bosa back. They're talking about Rashawn Slater possibly coming back. They've got their receivers back, and they're winning football games, and they looked pretty good last night for as bad as the – I mean, they wasn't dominant, and it was sluggish at times, but they still got it done. Against a team that hasn't given up, the stadium was full. i got to give Jeff Saturday credit – but at the end of the day, five straight losses after that unlikely win in his debut against the Raiders, 20-3. to And good for the Chargers, and I feel bad for the Colts, but, uh, you know, that, that ship already hit sail. Yeah, that ship They sailed. were just playing out the string in. <clears throat> That's right. They, they got a whole litany of issues there with the Indianapolis Colts, and we can discuss in some other time. But, yeah, the Chargers are the story of the night. And I, I think Brandon Staley said it right, and we've talked about this a little, where you got to give them credit. They've had some huge injuries to huge positions on their football team. You know, they have battled. I think that's one thing we've tried to say here as of late. You know, they have shown toughness. You know, they've gone toe-to-toe with the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs and gave them all they can handle. The Chiefs both times gave them all they can handle. You know, here we are the last three weeks still without a team that's 100%. You know, beat the Dolphins at home. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Got into a rough, tough game against the Titans. Found a way to get that done. And then one last night, yeah, convincingly. You know, they're, they're scary. You said it right, Mike. I mean, when, if they can get a Joey Bosa back, 
and and Rashawn Slater and and uh, you know the, the, the somebody else on the offensive line missing that I'm blanking out right now. They're 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 a team that you know, no one's going to feel comfortable about seeing them come into the playoffs. You know, so last night uh, wasn't like a highlight show or anything like that. They were clearly the better better team. You know, there's some aspects about their team you really do like. They lack sizzle to me, Mike. That's the one thing I'll say. And I think that's where you keep going back to, like, the Justin Herbert thing. It's just he's too good for them to be jamming in seven- and eight-yard throws all the time. And that, that's what I think bothers me. I, I know they can't run the ball. And the offense isn't bad, but I don't sit there and go, oh, it's great and creative, too. I, I never have watched it on the film. It's my number one complaint when I break them down on my podcast. It's just it's the basics. It's too reliant on him always making pinpoint passes. And like this last night, the flea flicker play or the throwback to the quarterback, that was the play of the night for them. Everything else was just standard protocol, normal offense. And I just don't know if the way they can pl- the way they play can get them to make a real run in the AFC playoffs. That was a laser, too. A laser. I mean, it wasn't. You know, a lot of times you see that flea flicker and it's a big rainbow down the field, 60 yards. But that thing... That thing, it was almost the momentum of that throw that, that took Keenan Allen out of bounds because uh, I thought he was going to score, but he, he stepped out. But those the are the biggest three. completions Herbert of the is night. Great. We yeah. Need, yeah. I know. We, we need to see some of that more. And we, we saw the artistry of the sidearm throw, the kind of thing that Patrick Mahomes does it. We all lose our minds. Other guys do it. And we just kind of shrug. But but Herbert had that the, the throw that kind of wraps around DeForest Buckner. I, I just, I, I, I thought that, that, he was and is and continues to be better than what the Chargers let him be. Agreed. And Agreed. I don't know. I, I assume that's I assume that's on Joe Lombardi, the offensive coordinator. But 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 they're in the playoffs. That's right. And when you get to single elimination, maybe you let it all hang out a little bit more. Maybe we see the Chargers more like they were week 18 last year against the Raiders in that compelling game. And we saw all those fourth downs that Justin Herbert converted with the season on the line. You get into that setting and maybe he becomes a different guy again. And they become a different offense. And they let him go out and do his thing. Because when he does it at a high level, they they can make it interesting in the AFC, Chris. Definitely. They got guys that can make plays in big moments that can you know get them over the hump. In, in a game, and especially if Joey Bosa gets back, that's where they can, you know, be you know, another level of dangerous with that pass rush. But you know, Mike, hey, sometimes like to what you're saying, that team that's real basic, and you know, everybody has a good feel for their offense. It, it does come in handy with the playoffs, right? I think about like some of those Jets teams with Rex Ryan or the 2015 Denver Broncos, where yeah, it was real, real simple and basic and basic. But then you get to the playoffs, and teams are so overplaying the basic that now all these double moves and things off of it you know, create these big plays and throw a curveball to the defense because they go, whoa, they didn't do this all year. You know, they were very basic. Maybe that happens. Uh, but, you know, I think we're both seeing it the same way. It's just a, it's, it's, it's a little underwhelming and lacks sizzle, sexiness, whatever you want to call it, for a guy that I think we both know, and I don't think anybody would, doesn't know, is one of the five best quarterbacks in the game. And that's where it just, you know, they, they lack heat downfield as far as big shots there. They don't have a running game, so it's hard for them to create play-action pass. Um, but way to go, Chargers. Way to gut it out. And, yeah, that wasn't that fun to watch last night or that dominant 
Uh, they, they let the Colts hang around for a period of time, in fact, to a point where you'd go, gosh, I don't know. I mean, if Matt Ryan or just somebody was in there that wasn't throwing dumb interceptions, that game had the feel that it could be a nail-biter a, nail a little bit. But the Colts' offense is just not capable of doing much right now. Well, they don't have Jonathan Taylor. He suffered the ankle injury against the Vikings. He's on injured reserve. He won't be back. Nick Foles was the guy that we were wondering all year, why isn't he mentioned as a potential replacement for Matt Ryan? Why do they go from Ryan to Ellinger? Why isn't Foles back in the mix when Ellinger gets benched? And now now we, we saw last night. All due respect to the Super Bowl 52 MVP, but a little too much of this yeah. last night. Somebody tried to tell me that was a miscommunication. No. I I don't oh. see a miscommunication there. I just see a bad throw. Exactly. I mean, this is, a, again, a, a dicey decision late to the sideline with good coverage. Uh, this right here, not seeing you know, the cover two corner on the opposite side of the field with a guy crossing that far. you got to realize that, hey, there's zone. There's going to be somebody there. Kind of surprising to see him make, you know, th- those mistakes. And, and you know, I, I do think to, like, what Troy Aikman and Joe Buck were talking about last night, there was so much talk about, he, he can push the ball down the field, and we're going to make finally a defense back up a little bit. That it, it seemed like he, you know, was a little over aggressive with that thought, you know, his own self there and the way he played. It just was careless with the football, certainly. To where, in a game where, again, to what we were talking about just a minute ago, the Colts defense, as we've seen, is very good. And yeah, the dam breaks because the offense is on the field for three plays and off the field right after that. Uh, but was doing everything they could to keep the the team in the football game and keep it manageable, but they just they couldn't do anything on that side of the ball and you know, slowly but surely Herbert and company just wore out that Colts defense. Nick Foles continues to be one of the most fascinating figures in league history where he's had these flashes where the clouds part, the planets align, everything goes well, but it's temporary. We saw it early in his career with the Eagles. We saw it in 2017 after Carson Wentz got hurt and he came in and just won one game after another and yeah. ended up beating Tom Brady and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. But then we see so many of these instances where he's less than ordinary. It really is bizarre. Well, but, uh, yeah. Bottom line is changes are coming for the Colts yeah. after this season. One one last point. Jim Irsay said Jeff Saturday may actually be the coach next year. Chris Ballard will definitely be back as GM. Saturday may be the coach. And I still think Irsay is going to do whatever he has to do to justify keeping Saturday, even if they finish one in seven with Saturday as the interim coach, Chris. Well, that's cult shit right there. I mean, that's that's horse shit. I doubt it. That's bullshit, cult shit, whatever you want to call it. Okay? It's one of them, all right? I doubt it. I don't know how that could Merry be possible. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas. We mismanage games and make wrong decisions and and do all kinds of things the right way. But, yeah, he might be back as a head coach. I, I would be shocked to see that. I would be shocked. And, hey, one more. If like, Well, but he'll be better. He's gaining experience. Right. Well, gain more be experience and be an offensive line coach experience. or somebody, and you'll get a chance again later down the road. I could see that being a possibility. You know, Go do it that way. I, I, I don't understand where the Colts would even think this could be remotely successful with this way, and if it goes bad, it's going to be one of those where everybody's going to be like, are you stupid? Did you think this was – you thought this was going to work? It's, it just it doesn't seem like there's a lot of positives that come out of that. But here, one more thing I just want to throw, like, food for thought for you a little bit. Because I had somebody say this to me over the Christmas holiday a little bit, and they just, isn't it odd that a guy like Nick Foles gets viewed as, like, more clutch than Kirk Cousins? 
or like almost people have a better thought of him in their mind. A guy who can't really be a starter in the NFL. He had a three-game run, really a two-game run. He was horrible in the divisional playoff game and almost lost it for them. But we view him as Super Bowl winner, clutch guy. And there's Kirk Cousins, who's like top five, top six in quarterback rating every year and does all these great things. And we just absolutely trash him. I just, I don't know. Sorry, just food for thought. I thought it was kind of interesting. Well, and here's the thing about Kirk Cousins. Yeah. When I slip into the love him versus love him not All mindset, right. my son and I were talking about this where we were watching the game on Saturday. The guy is as tough and durable as any quarterback yes. I have ever seen in my life. On the first touchdown of the game on Saturday, Kirk Cousins took an illegal low hit that caved his right knee in to the point where I thought, uh-oh, uh-oh. And he was fine. Yeah. And there was a game a few weeks ago where he took a helmet to the arm and he screamed out in pain and he's on the sideline and he's in discomfort and he was fine. Yeah. He was never even on the injury report right. that week. So the, the the guy is amazing. He can, as it relates to his ability to line up and play week after week, game after game, there's never an issue of an injury or anything. And he takes a lot of hits. So I got to give him credit there. And he is a very, very good meat and potatoes between the buoys quarterback. There are just certain areas where it short circuits and it just seems yeah. to happen in, in big moments. And most people think it's going to happen at some point in the postseason that this magic isn't going to continue. Surely you don't think the magic's going to continue. Uh, the, the, what, what are you talking about here? I'm sorry. I was getting ready to go into another subject. I was going to ask you a question we're, about, we we're talking about Kirk Cousins. No, sorry. We we're talking about Kirk sorry, Cousins sorry, and the magic yes. and the horse. Sorry. The ass. I got off topic. To I was reading something in our rundown. I know. Well, Busted. no, because you're going to know uh -huh. my question here what? in a minute. We need to take a break. No, That's but we can't read. take a All break. Right. Okay. We get, we didn't even talk about the Derwin James hit. I mean, that was the biggest story of the night last night. And we got to talk about that real quick. Can we do that real quick or no? All right. That's fine with me. I mean, fine with me. was that not crazy? Now, listen, no, I'm, they say, I, they I'm saying a take a break or are they saying we can talk about it. All right. We can talk about it. They said I, that, that okay. as much as I am annoyed by protecting the receivers and unnecessary roughness, that was about as egregious and good job by the NFL kicking him out of the game, ejecting him, the penalty. That was dangerous not only to Ashton Doolin, the receiver here. Derwin James could have broke his own neck right there with the way he did that. That That's the other thing, too, here. You got to protect that, that. That's just not necessary. Totally crazy 2022 for Derwin James, who I love as a player, to be lowering his head, crown of the helmet like that, with all the knowledge we have, and... You know, just to, to do that to a fellow player in the NFL, I just was shocked by that, that, that he, he went that way on, on the receiver. I really was. And he got up. He got up and made the argument that he hit him with his shoulder. Are you kidding me? He went, he went, you know, the first guy I thought of when I saw that hit, you know, who I thought of, yeah. see if you think of it, who's the first guy you thought of when you saw that hit? I thought Did you I, have a name that came to mind. Like I was thinking of like Chuck Cecil, like that was kind of. I was thinking of Andre Waters. I yeah. thought Andre okay, Waters. Okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was like, I haven't seen hits like that, was that his since move. those kind of guys. Right, right. Uh, that's lead with the crown of the helmet, try to knock the guy out. And as you saw there, one, it's scary for himself. He's lucky he didn't hurt his own neck. And he knocked himself out. He couldn't even stand up for 10 seconds. I'm going to be interested to see what happens there. He's obviously going to be in concussion protocol. And that one, to me, is egregious enough to... 
really, in, in this day and age, deserve a suspension. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he got suspended for a game after that hit last night. Yeah, I mean, that was as bad of a hit as we've seen. And if you go back and watch on YouTube games from the 80s and 90s, you see those hits all the time. And Andre Waters, I thought you'd think of him because your dad had yeah, to deal with right, him right. for over a decade right. as a member of the Eagles. And he was a guy, I mean, he was a guy that that, that, that played that way. Chuck Cecil was another one. Yeah. It was so commonplace back then. But that just shows you the progress the NFL has made. That when we see right. a hit like that now, I mean, they used to sell videos with hits like that. Yeah, on right, them. right. The, the marketing those kinds of hits. When we see it now, we are stunned. That's how this evolution of the NFL has occurred over the past 30 years. To their credit, they realized the sport wasn't going to survive if they didn't make it safer in that respect. So I, I agree with you. We see a lot of questionable calls along those lines. This one, no doubt. Ejection, necessary. Suspension, justified. And, 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 Derwin James came out of that worse than Ashton Doolin. Definitely. That's Look how he my... struggled to get up. Exactly. This is a rule that right. isn't there just to protect the guy who gets hit. Right. It's there to protect the guy who does the hit. That's right. That's exactly right. That's where it's, it goes both ways with that one. And that was dangerous to the way he lowered his head. And as wobbly as his legs were, I mean, his right leg, he couldn't even stand up, but he stayed on a knee for like seven or eight seconds. So... Uh, yeah, that's about protecting everybody. And Derwin James, I love watching him play. I was just shocked he kind of went that aggressive, that old school, you know, with as knowledgeable as he is. Uh, that's where that was a little surprising. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, the latest on the Jets quarterback situation. Will Mike White be back for Week 17? We'll discuss that next on this Tuesday edition of PFT Live. Uh, Mike did get clearance, so he will be the starter. Um, the uh, second quarterback, uh, number two quarterback, will be Joe Flacco. Um, the plan for Zach, again, it hasn't changed. I still think he's got a future here. I still think he's going to be a really good quarterback. Uh, he just he, he needs time to just kind of sit back and continue the development that we we're trying to uh, re-kickstart, if you will, uh, after the New England game. But um, uh, still have him in our future and our in our plans. Over the weekend, there's a report from Fox that the Jets are expected to move on from Zach Wilson. Is that accurate? Yeah, I just like I just said, it's uh, that report's all speculation. Um, there are he still has a huge plan in our future, and we're still like I said, we're not quitting on the young man. Uh, we're going to do everything we can to develop him. Robert Sala talking about the quarterback situation with the Jets. Look, he's in a tough spot. He's the guy that's out there front and center yep. trying to sell these things. That's right. What he just said, though, about Zach Wilson, it tells me, Chris, remember two weeks ago when they were keeping close to the vest the true status of Mike White? He wasn't going to get cleared to play in the Week 15 game. It just wasn't going to happen. And, oh, coincidentally, Zach Wilson has moved up to number two. That wasn't his call. He would have kept him on reset, timeout, double secret probation, and gone with Joe Flacco if right. it was up to him. Right. Somebody else made that decision yeah. to, to put Zach Wilson back into the number two spot knowing that Mike White wasn't going to play. So lo and behold, Zach Wilson's back out on the field. That's not anything that Robert Sala wanted to do. And I, I still don't – I choose not to believe the idea that they think he has a future. 
I think they're done with him, and they're trying to salvage some trade value to get somebody else out there to take Zach Wilson off their hands and give them value after this season. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you there, Mike. I mean, first off, not shocker that Mike White's back in the fold starting the quarterback. That was a disaster last Thursday night. It was in all areas, Zach Wilson included. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he was not good, yes, uh, but the team wasn't good either. And, yeah, I I, I mean – it just seems like it's a marriage that's broken, and I would be shocked if Zach Wilson's back. In fact, if I'm Zach Wilson, I don't know if I'd really want to be back, honestly. Just the way the things have played out, the way the town has turned on a little bit, you know, I just don't see where, you know, again, he'd have to come out of the gate next year, and they'd got to win, and he's got to play unbelievable, or he's going to get booed off the field. And, you know, and again, oh, what, we're going to keep him and, you know, what, bring another veteran in to where he's going to be the backup to that guy. But just the way they've managed the situation, the way they've managed him, the way they managed the end of the first half and put him in that situation to throw an interception, it's all been bad. It's all been bad. And uh, I, I do with you. I'm with you, Mike. I, I, I think it's 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 over and that Zach Wilson's got to find a new spot and kind of just rejuvenate his career from there. Shereen Williams and I talked about this for an extended period of time on Friday, the day after that debacle against the Jaguars. And, you know, first point, Chris, you said the team didn't play well. And this is where analytics needs to take a back seat to reality of football. You put a guy out there that the team no longer responds to, and that's what you get. You get a team that is lifeless. You get a team that gets overpowered. You get a team that gets ultimately embarrassed. It can do nothing offensively because you can just sense it. You can feel it coming through your TV screen. This team does not respond to Zach Wilson. However it happened, why it happened, when it happened, doesn't matter. It happened. And the organization has some responsibility, as you said, for mismanaging it. And I think it's the kind of thing that could bring down Joe Douglas. I think, and and this is, you know, kind of a hallmark of what we see from Woody Johnson's Jets, the GM responsible for the most recent high-profile quarterback that doesn't work out, doesn't stay very long. Mike Tannenbaum out after Mark Sanchez. John Idzik out after Geno Smith. Mike McCagnan out after Sam Darnold. Could be Zach Wilson out and Joe Douglas right with him, Chris. Well, I, I, I hope not. You know, th- yeah, this is a, a bad mark on the Joe Douglas era as it sits right now. All right. And, and again, we could, like you said, you can blame both sides. But I also think, and let's not forget, Mike, right? They far exceeded expectations for what we thought this year. And the rest of the team. There's nobody that plays the Jets that's not impressed with the talent on their roster. So that's where I'd go, maybe this is a little different than some of the other examples that you just brought up. Uh, where, you know, again, the last two guys, yeah, they messed up the quarterback and the team wasn't good. At least we got that here. And we'll see where this goes with this situation. But, you know, again, I think there's a lot more positives here from the Jets and the direction they're headed in. It's the quarterback issue that's an issue. And, you know, you can drive that right into the offense, too. That has to be evaluated. You know, yeah, they benched Zach Wilson. I get that. And, yeah, they had more yards passing the ball, but they still had a problem finding the end zone. They, they couldn't do that in those games without him. And they went one and two without him, too, and beat the Bears in the one win. So there's more than just the quarterback issue here, too. There's, there's a few things on the offensive side of the ball, and they've had some injuries to make things, you know, of course, tougher on them as well.
Who's your dream quarterback for the Jets next year? Gosh. If you got to pick him, who would you want? Oh, man, I haven't even put my brain there yet. Uh, you know, I, listen, I hear the rumors of Jimmy Garoppolo and all that. That would be scary to me a little. Now, it's, it's good because, yes, he's a veteran and played, but at the same time, it's like he's got an injury history that's real. And do we, we have a team that's about to turn the corner and good. Do we want to go that route? You know, I, to me, it'd be, I, you know, like what happens with Derek Carr? Let's see where that goes with the Raiders. I mean, there's some situations here, I think, with some quarterbacks that are kind of still in the fold here of uh, what can happen and where it goes. And, you know, I'm sorry I'm blabbering here because I don't have a definite thought, but uh, there's not one that just pops to me right now that I just go, oh, they got to have him and they'll be, they'll be that much better. It's going to be fascinating because Mike White, been around long enough that he'll be a free agent after the season. Not restricted either. Unrestricted free agent. He can go anywhere. They can go in any direction that they want. And like you said, they've got the rest of the team in place. They do. Who do they attract? They are in a position where they can be a little choosy. And and maybe they'll end up with a quarterback that pushes them over the top. We shall see. Let's take a break. We'll have more PFT Live for you right after this. I have a bad history on Christmas Eve <laughs> of like just going too hard, being exciting, the, excited. The family's over. I start too early, and every year my wife's like, "I need you to be able to stay awake and help me put the gifts under the Christmas tree this year." And I never make it. I'm always blacked out, passed out, like done, and I can't do it. I don't feel that great because I've eaten and drank too much. So I would say, really. Every Christmas Eve for the last four or five years, I've kind of been like that a little bit. <laughs> See, I'm picturing this this effort by Chris to recreate the scene in Elf where he tries to put the star on the top of the tree and ends up going just torso first into the middle of the tree. That 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 that's right. Chris Christmas Eve. Todd, that looks like somebody I know. Uh, That's disturbing. Jeez. Uh, Chris it, Sims morphed onto Will Ferrell from Elf. I, I, I that just that guy looks familiar. I I don't know who it is. I don't know who he it is. He looks like a dork. Looks I like can someone I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But well, you'll be happy to hear that I made it. I did it. I did it this year. I did not pass out. I did not sneak away and and go in the other room and fall asleep on the crowd. Everybody left. Help the wife out. And I paced myself. I'm showing maturity at 42. I was very proud of myself. I started early. I didn't go too hard too early. And I made it through the festivities of the night, Mike. You should be proud. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I know you're proud of me. <laughs> very good. Very well done. I know. I'm very proud of you. I, I, I did the same because we had, to, we had to work on Sunday. Having all those football games on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day kind of kept me in line. Yeah. Which was good. But right. it really was a It was fun. It was different. It only happens every five years or so where they move all those games to Christmas Eve. And then and now, for the first time, three full games, the three windows. You've got football action all day from 1 o'clock until after 11 o'clock Eastern. It was, uh, it was a different kind of a weekend. But it, it was. was. Fun and uh, uh, Christmas Eve, I was feeling it, too. I was feeling tired. It's like, man, it's just been a long, it's been a long week. 
and and having it all come together that right. day. It was it really was fun though to watch the games down in the barn, watch the Vikings Giants game. That was a lot of fun with the sixty one yard walk off field goal. But yeah, uh, screw you. Sounds like we both behaved. Yes. And uh, we're both laying the foundation to be on the nice list for Christmas 2023. Let's go ahead and take a break. A guy who's already on the naughty list for next year and who has been there a few times but has yet to be fined for it, but is going to be this week, Mac Jones and his questionable play from Saturday. We'll break that down when PFT Live continues right after this. You know, I went down in front of him to kind of get in the way to stop him from slowing down Taekwon, who obviously could make the tackle there. So just kind of went down in front of him and trying to stop the fast guy from getting to another fast guy. So just split second decision, and there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you're out there trying to compete, and it's a physical game. So just trying to help the team win and um, have all the respect for Eli and the Bengals. They played a great game. So um, there's no hard feelings and definitely no intention to hurt anybody on that play, um, nor do I believe that when I'm playing quarterback, that's what, you know, I get hit a lot too. So we're all out there playing, playing hard, and um, that's just part of the game. But, but, Mac, it's not part of the game when it is clearly an illegal hit. Below the waist after a change of possession is an illegal hit, period. And it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. I don't get the idea that Eli Apple was going to catch Tyquan Thornton and apply a legal block to him. Right. And also the whole play was was a waste of time. It was it was a turnover that wasn't going to count. And if anybody knew it on the field, it was the guy who actually threw the ball forward. It was intentional grounding, well, but it wasn't a fumble. Well, there, but well that's another just, discussion. It felt like a frustration yeah, move. Exactly. It, it did. It, that's if, what it felt but it like. Felt like. It felt like a pure frustration, punk-ass move to yeah, me. That, that's, I, I, I don't Frankly. disagree with your, your language there. I think that's about right. And one, to the point we talked about with Derwin James, just... 2022 it's unnecessary about the you know the the club of football players and taking care of each other within the realm of the sport hey you go over the middle yeah i'm gonna hit you as hard as i can yeah you're in the pocket i'm gonna hit you as hard as i can do all that but i'm not gonna like you know try to hurt you or ruin your career and that's where that that you you're going along those lines there with an illegal block not uh, with a guy that's definitely not expecting to be blocked, and then you're attacking his legs, and he's chasing the guy that what ran the fastest combine in the forty last year. Like Eli Apple wasn't going to catch catch Tyquan Thornton, who ran four two three last year, four two four. Like, that wasn't going to happen. So yes, I'm I'm with you. That just seems like kind of a a babyish, punkish type of move there. That's just not necessary in our sport. We reported last night he will be fined $11,139. That is the negotiated amount between the league and the union for an illegal low block. The letter will go out today or tomorrow. No suspension and and no repeat offender status because for prior instances where he was accused of dirty play, he was never even fined. There was the twisting of the ankle of Brian Burns of the Panthers back in 2021. Burns complained about it loudly. There was no fine there. Here's the video from back in week nine. Ball's out, and as Burns is trying to get it, you see that he's just holding on to the ankle and twisting it around. And and it's one thing to, to hold it and keep him from trying to get to the ball. It's the other thing to do that where you twist it. That wasn't good. And then we saw earlier this year on the Monday night game, Jaquan Brisker took a foot to the biscuit here. Watch this on the slide. This is the Tom Brady move. 
slide down, foots up, and ouch, that hurts. Brisker would have his revenge later that drive with an interception. And Jones wasn't fined for that either. Brady was once fined ten grand for doing that to Ed Reed. Um, and Reed claimed that he had to have surgery on his hip because of what Brady did. But now Jones has been fined, and, and he should have been. And, and I, I think it's uncalled for. And somebody needs to talk to him about, like you said, this brotherhood, the brethren of being in the NFL. You need to protect each other. And these gratuitous, unnecessary hits, we're trying to get them out of the game to avoid unnecessary injury, and this is an example of it. There was no cause for it. There was no reason for it. And it does allow reasonable minds, at least, to differ on the question of whether or not it was dirty. Eli Apple thinks it was. Mac Jones thinks it wasn't. I, I tend to agree with Eli Apple. Just I Because I think it was too. unnecessary, and it just felt like he's frustrated, he's pissed off, and I'm going to do something about yeah, it. Yeah, that, that, that's right. It just uh, I'm with you in that. It just it's, we, don't, we don't need it, and it had, very, it had nothing to do with the play. Uh, and you, just, you don't need to attack guys' knees like that, especially a corner who's 10 yards behind the guy running the ball. Now, the other uh, the amazing thing, too, and, and I think plays into what we're talking about here is, I mean, yeah, Mac Jones got up and chased him full-fledged because he thought he fumbled the ball. And I've yet to really talk to anybody who knows football that doesn't think that was a fumble except for 345 bar gap. That's, uh, that, was, to me, was one of the shockers of the game right there, too. Not only was that a dirty play and not necessary, and it's not part of the sport anymore, I, I just was shocked by the ruling. I, I was shocked by it. I, it, I see. I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm not because I see his arm. He's throwing it. He's trying to throw the ball. I know. If it's just the ball. Call, we the, probably can't get it. I know. We, didn't, we weren't going to talk about it. But the ball came out of his hand before he was trying to shuffle it. That, that's where it, it went forward empty yeah. hand. It just was he was trying to shovel it. So it was a little different. But uh, either way, that was a crazy game. Had a lot of things to talk about. And it's unfortunate when a game gets overshadowed by – a play like this that's yeah just it's it's a cheap shot and we don't need to do that and especially when it's 10 yards behind the line you know the guy carrying the football key moment too because the Patriots will go on to score make it 22 18 and then have the ball inside the 10 the Ramondre Stevenson fumble when he was trying to get a little more yardage there was questions whether or not his forward progress had been stopped they had a pool report after the game where the referee said well they deemed obviously they deemed his Forward progress hadn't been stopped, or they would have blown the whistle and ended the play. But that that fumble by Stevenson ended the day for the Patriots. It looked like they were going to come back and get the win. And what a they've had a couple of them now that that came down to the wire and ended in right. nutty fashion in right. different ways. The Raiders game and the Bengals game. But you you take those two games, you flip them around, you flip the outcome around, and they're very much alive. Now they're they're uh, they're teetering, and it's basically Dolphins Patriots this weekend in an elimination game. Losers done, winner still has a chance. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they they play this out. I mean, New England's not a great football team. It is shocking, you know, that they're a team that you certainly can say is a playoff football team, and they they're going to have themselves to blame for self-inflicted mistakes. I think that's kind of the shocking thing of all, right, Mike? I mean, whether it's the Minnesota game where it felt like they kind of controlled it and penalties and messing up coverages and the kick return and all of that, these last two games messing up situational football, it's just it's rare. The turnovers, you know, in the Baltimore Ravens game where they had a chance to win, we haven't seen those type of mistakes from a Bill Belichick-led football team, and this year it's uh, happened, you know, more than once, and I think that's kind of the shocking thing about their season. 
going to be interesting to see what happens after the year ends for the Patriots. What kind of changes will be made? Who's let go? Who's reassigned? Who's brought in? Does Belichick stay? I'm starting to get the sense that he will be back, but I, how could you not expect some major changes to the way things are done to get this team back to where it's been? Robert Kraft last year was disappointed. It's been three years since a playoff win. Well, it's now going to be four years since a playoff win, assuming they they don't get in, or if they get there, they make it past or don't make it past the wild card round. But it, it feels like they're going to have a hard time getting in, and they're going to have a hard time competing if they get there. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFT Live right after this. Philadelphia Eagles continue to have a magic number of one for the one seed in the NFC, but they lost to the Cowboys on Saturday, Chris, and they're starting to rack up more and more injuries. Not just Jalen Hurts, who may or may not be back this week. Lane Johnson, one of the best offensive linemen in the entire sport, now has an abdominal injury. And Avante Maddox, one of their cornerbacks, is out, and they're without C.J. Gardner-Johnson, and he may be coming back, but, you know, They'd seemed impervious to these questions most of the year, and now we're getting down to crunch time, and they they have to be concerned, and they have to keep playing hard. And they've got a Saints team coming in this weekend that is very much alive still in the NFC South, a Saints team that just went to Cleveland in horrible conditions and got a victory. I feel like all of a sudden this one seed isn't as automatic as we thought it was going to be. They could still lose the division. They could still lose the one seed to the 49ers or the Vikings. No, I I, I know. You're right. I mean, they, they got to lose two games, right? That, that That's how it's got to shake out. I, I have a hard time thinking that. Uh, but, yes, it's a little sc- concerning just as far as, you know, there's some key players you just talked about. They are. And Lane Johnson, as you, just, as you said, he's one of the best right tackles in the game. And we know how important that run game is and their ability to, to protect Jalen Hurts, to give him time to throw deep shots down the field to A.J. Brown. So a little concerning, but I still think I'm still betting on the Eagles to be the number one seed. Hey, by the way, the Eagles lost. They've fallen out of the top spot in the power rankings. They will be officially unveiled in about two minutes. Whoa. Chris, you will be surprised and I think delighted by who the new number one team is. Wow. Check it out. It better not be the Vikings. See See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.